Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Merry Christmas. Amen, amen, amen. Hey, we're going to continue on with our sermon series called Sense. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 2 tonight as we're going to be getting into verses 5 through 11 tonight uh, as we celebrate this Christmas Eve service as we are reminded of the birth of Jesus and that he is the reason for the season and why we gather tonight. And so we're going to look at that tonight. We're going to look at the one who was sent that came as a servant. I think during this, this Advent season, it's easy to see the crib, but we miss the cross. And we can be caught up in the Christmas season and yet miss the, the wonder of Christ. A son wanted to, I had a story of a son who wanted to buy his father a gift and he didn't know what to, to give his dad. And, and so he looked around and, and one day he found this singing parrot. And he thought, man, this would be the perfect gift for my dad, but it was going to cost $10,000. And so he purchased this singing parrot, and he, and he shipped it to his father. And then on Christmas Day, he calls up his father and asks, did you get my gift? And his father said, yes, I certainly did, son. And then his son said, well, dad, how did you like it? And he replied, oh, it was delicious. I think the dad missed the point of the gift. And I don't think he understand the nature of the gift. And I think many today, in their celebration of Christmas, they miss the point of the gift. And I think we consume ourselves with consumerism rather than being consumed with Christ's presence and his birth. As we continue this series on scent, this evening title is The Scent Servants. And so we're looking at Jesus' first coming. And we know that he came in the flesh to, to be a servant of all. In fact, his, his mission and his service to be a, a ransom for many, to serve those. And he came as a humble child. He came to serve and he came to share about this new kingdom. And then later he will be sacrificed for our well-being. But more than that, he also will return. We forget that part of the gospel. And so as we get into the book of Philippians, and he's writing to the believers in Philippi, he's reminding the believers of the reason of his first coming. Why did Jesus come? And so Paul the apostle was writing. He's writing to the believers in Philippi to remind them of why he came. And I'm hoping tonight that I remind you of why he came as we get into this text tonight. I want to read it and we're going to pray in. We're going to be Philippians chapter starting in verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also exalted him highly and, and, and given him a, a name which is above every name, that, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And on that day, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for tonight. And Father, we're going to be looking at the reason why you came. You came through a humble family, through a teenage woman named Mary and a stepfather named Joseph out of the area of Nazareth, but you were born in Bethlehem, an unknown town at the time, but a prophetic town. And out of your humble beginnings, you came because you're going to be the greatest servant of all. And so we pray tonight as we look at your word, we pray that your word would speak to us tonight because I believe that the spirit still speaks. And he speaks to the heart of men and women. And I pray that he speaks to the heart of men and women and children in this room tonight. That, Father, as we celebrate your first coming, we're reminded of the reason why you came. Because you loved us. Father, you came first in a cradle. You came in a crib, but you were going to the cross. Because you wanted to demonstrate your love. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 We're going to look at three things tonight briefly. First was Christ was sent in the flesh to be a servant. He was sent in the flesh to be a servant. We see that in verses 5 through 7. I know when people have bought homes, they often have a housewarming party because they want people to come see their house. And when you come to a housewarming party, you often come and you bring gifts. And just to honor that family, because it's a, it's a sign of love, it's, a, it's part of our culture, it's an expression of our friendship. But I want you to understand something tonight. Jesus left his home in heaven to come to our home. He came as a gift wrapped in a small package for all, the God-man in the flesh. When Jesus came as a gift into our home, he did it to build a relationship with us. He came as a servant to our lives. He, he didn't enter the world in a, a royal fashion. He didn't have fanfare. He wasn't wearing, even as a little baby, he wasn't wearing a, a CrossFit onesie. But he came as a servant. He came in a rustic cradle, not fancy. He came as a servant from a poor family clothed in humility. The beauty about this baby is that he came in the flesh not to conquer hardship, but to go through it, to redeem us. He came to redeem us, so, Luke, so he became like us. And he needed to experience all that we experience, and as we know, yet with, without sin. And so Paul was writing here to us about this experience. That he's, and Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and he, and he says that, first of all, we've got to have the right mindset. Servanthood begins with the right mindset. Look at 5 and 6. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery, robbery to be equal with God. Listen, biblical servanthood begins with being Christ-minded. Begins with our thinking. We need to have the same mind of Christ. We need to have the same mind of God. And Christ's mindset was that of a servant. A servant. And he's writing to the church to remind the church of Philippi about the power of servanthood. The power of love. The power of sacrifice. A giving of oneself. 
But it starts first with how we think. We know that the Bible commands us to imitate God, to imitate Christ. But to do that, it first starts with our thinking, the process of our thinking. To imitate him means we need to have the same thinking as Christ. See, our lives are transformed not by how we feel, but how we think. That's why Paul often writes to the church of Rome that we are called to renew our mind. But our attitude reveals our state of mind. And Paul is going to begin to reveal Jesus' state of mind here in his own writings. First of all, he writes the fact that Jesus wasn't in opposition with his father. Remember that Jesus is God in the flesh. He's going to begin to, verse 6, he speaks about his deity. But in his deity, there was no competition. We see that in, in the passage here in verse 6, right? Who being in the form of God did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Jesus in the form of God. Greek word morphe. In the appearance of God. God had a form. And it came in the flesh. And that is Jesus. What do I know God is? Look to Jesus. Because he's the image of the invisible God, the scripture says. We often think of the word form as having to do with the shape of something. But in the Greek culture, the time of this writing, it translates being on equality with God. Jesus said that he and the Father are one, John 10, 30. And so we think about his Bethlehem birth was not his beginning. His Bethlehem birth was not his beginning of his being. For in John 1, 2, it says he was in the beginning with God. I want you to kind of grasp that for a moment because we know that the word became flesh in, in John 1, 14, and yet he was in the beginning with God, but then God the Father sent his own son that we can see who God is. And then he came like us. And then he came to serve because Jesus, he didn't use his position for exploitation. He wasn't competing for fame. He didn't use his position as a son of God to exploit his creation, to exploit us. Because he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't use his position for his own personal gain. In fact, the NIV version of this same verse says this, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. His power did not influence his thinking for selfish gain. That's what Paul's writing about who Jesus is. Something about power, right? When people, power in the heart of corrupted man can be dangerous. But the power that Jesus had was to serve, to be an example. His birth was an example of humility and submission, and he submitted to his creation. He submitted himself to leave heaven to come here, and he was born as a baby, submitting to Joseph and Mary, submitting to their parenting, submitting to the law, submitting as a, from a Jewish family. Even when he went into the synagogue, as a young boy at 12 years, and brought forth the word. The parents came looking for Jesus because they were out traveling, going home, and forgot Jesus at the synagogue. 
Came back two days later. Can you imagine leaving your kid for two days? I thought he was with you, Mary. No, I thought he was with you, Joseph. They left him going back home to Nazareth, and they went back, and Jesus was in the synagogue breaking down the world to the religious leaders. And the parents called them. They said, I'm about my father's business. But yet I submitted, I'd obeyed, and he went with them. Submitting to his own creation. The humility of Jesus, the submission of Jesus. But verse 7 really brings out the character of the sent servant. Look at this. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself of his divine power, of his representation. God is not concerned about, Jesus was not concerned about his reputation. He only did what his father said, right? He didn't empty himself of his divinity. He's still God. It says there, take on the, but he emptied his self of a divine power. The, we, we heard of the word kenosis. The doctrine of kenosis is the, the loss of power, become powerless. We know that he always had to sit at the feet of his father to, to hear what he had. We know that the day that he had to go get baptized and the spirit came upon them, he needed power. He needed power in order to do the things he was going to do. That's why he got baptized. He didn't get baptized because he was sinful. He got baptized because he needed power. And everything he did was by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wonder why he would often remind the disciples when he walked this earth that I must go, that another must come. That I want to give you power. I, I want to give you strength that comes from the Spirit, the gift. Jesus wants to give us a gift, which is his spirit. We cannot walk this journey or this walk without his power. The law could not do that for us. The law of rules cannot do this for that. Rules can only show where we fall short. But his spirit gives us the power to do what he's commanded us to do. That is the greatest gift. And so I goes, I must come, and then I must go to give you a gift. And what does he do? The greatest gift that the Father could give us was his Son to come in the appearance of man, in human form. And he came in the form of a bondservant. The word form is morphe. I love this here. He came as a, a bond servant here, doulos servant. He emptied himself of his rights. He, he made himself a slave as a servant. That's what the word here, doulos, means. It means to be a bond servant or, or a slave. How do you know when one is a servant? How do you know when one is a servant when others treat you like that, like a slave? Think about what a slave is in some terms. A slave is 
not noticed, not thanked, not applauded, never complimented, or invited to anything. They are expected to serve and not be seen. And yet Paul says, I mean, Paul writes about Jesus that we are have the mind of Christ. Some of us would struggle with that. That in some ways we need to lean, lose our own identity and, and put on Christ's identity. That's why he says, I, I doesn't, I'm not worried about my reputation. I'm often reminded of Naaman in the Old Testament who had leprosy and his servant says, go see the prophet Elijah and he'll heal you. And so he goes to the prophet and in fact, the prophet doesn't even meet with him. He sends his servant out, out in front of him and he says, go wash in the Jordan River and your leprosy shall go away. And, and Naaman was all mad. He was mad. Why? Because he goes, man, the prophet didn't even come say, does the prophet not know that I'm a great commander? I'm a big leader. And he sends his servant to tell me what to do. I deserve better than that. But the servant said, the prophet said, just go dunk yourself in the Jordan water seven times and you'll be healed. And his pride, he didn't want to do it. And, the, and this woman servant comes and says, just go do it. What do you got to lose? In and he even said, the Jordan? That dirty, dirty, why can't I dunk in the nice waters? You sent me to the dirty water. And Naaman goes and he dunks himself seven times. And the leprosy goes away. And he gets it. Isn't that how sometimes our thinking is in our, like we better, we're thinking better than we ought to think of who we are, think more highly of ourselves? That was not Jesus' thinking. That's not how he came. Yet he was a son of a king. And yet they called him the king of kings, and yet he came humbly in our flesh. His character was his humility. He modeled humility as a servant. And he became like us. Why? So we could become like him. <laughs> so we could become like him. And so we see that this morning. The mind of a servant. We're called to have the mind of Christ. We're called to think differently as God's people, as he modeled that for us. But I think the second thing Christ was sent to be our sacrifice. Christ was sent to be our sacrifice. We see that in verse 8. I read a story about Corey Ten, uh, Ten Boom, who was a woman who protected the Jews during the Holocaust and later was arrested and put in a camp. And she talks about this story. She was incarcerated in a Holocaust camp. She, says, she tells the story of a weekly routine of ladies stripping down naked to be marched before the guards in freezing cold weather to be examined by the medical physicians. And as she walked, a verse came to her mind. He hung naked on the cross. Leaning to her sister to encourage her, she whispered to her, they took his clothes too. <laughs> we'll, we'll never understand Christ's Christ sacrifice. We often remember the crib, but we forget the cross. But the crib and the cross, they go together. They go together. Look at verse 3. It says, and, and being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Of a cross. You know what? Jesus was sent to be a bridge builder. He was sent to be 
a bridge builder. Think about it. He stepped down out of heaven to come be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. He's the with us God in order to raise us up. He was our high priest. In fact, the Latin word for priest means bridge builder. He is our bridge builder. He would be our mediator between man and God. He would mediate the conflict that sin had created. He was God in the flesh to mediate our own what appeared to be irreconcilable differences between man and God. We were separate from God. Our sin separated us from God. We were alienated from God. We were far from God. And we needed a bridge to God. To be in right relationship with God. And so he sent his only beloved son, his only begotten son as a baby. What? To go from the crib to the cross. To be the bridge to build the relationship back with God, to be reconciled back with God, to take that which is broken and bring it back together. That was God's mission. That's why he came as a serpent. Uh, not a serpent, a servant. <laughs> Wrong word there. <laughs> but he also knew what we went through, and he went through it too. He also knows our feelings and our emotions and our anxieties and our fears and our hungers and our depression and our ups and our downs in life. Because he said in Hebrews 5, 15, for we do not have a high priest, a bridge builder who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. He, he understands us. And, and it was all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You're going through it. He went through it. You can't pray. God doesn't understand me. Read that verse. He does understand you. He came in the flesh. He hungered. He thirsted. He was tired. He had to sleep. He had to pray. He had to go be with his father in order to be energized and be refueled to do the work. He had to listen to his father in order to know what to do the next day because he never did anything unless the father told him to do it. And Jesus was sent to be the substitutionary sacrifice substitute you think of school when your teacher couldn't be there you send a substitute in her place Jesus came in our place when we should have faced death he took on death he came became a humbly man he took on he left his heavenly state and he humbled himself in the garden he humbled himself not my will but thy will when he was arrested in the garden, he humbled himself, not saying a word, remaining silent when they falsely accused him. He humbled himself. He humbled himself when they beat him because by his stripes we are healed. He humbled himself. His humility was seen in his nakedness on the cross. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. He humbled himself. He didn't fight for his rights. He didn't stand up for his rights, yet he was just. And he learned obedience through suffering. Obedience to do what is right. Doing the right thing. He said that before Spike Lee did. Doing the right thing. It was right for him to suffer for our namesake. He would pay the penalty for our sin. For the wages of sin is death, but God took on that wage that we didn't have to take it on. God took on that debt that we didn't have to take on. The wrath that was 
toward us, God took on that wrath that we didn't have to carry and pay for it. He took on the shame so that we wouldn't have to bear the shame. And his promise was this, that whoever believes on me will never be put to shame. God is not a shaming God. He doesn't want to shame you. When Adam and Eve fell, they were ashamed, it says, and they hid themselves when they saw their nakedness and God sought them out in their shame and God found them out and called them out of their shame. That's the God that came for us to call us out of our brokenness, out of our shame to be his children. And so he went to the cross. Crucifixion was established to execute, to be execute the common criminal. Common criminals were executed on the cross in that day. When he came into Rome, you would see crosses all around with criminals hung on a cross to warn, to warn travelers if you come against the government, this could be your end. We know that the Bible in the Old Testament prophetically said he would be numbered with the transgressors and he wasn't hung with criminals on a cross. Hebrews 5, 7 eight says, who in the days of his flesh when he came, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and we heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. We have a suffering Savior. He suffered on our behalf. And sacrifice was his ultimate act of service. Because Galatians 3, 13, 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for his written curses any, everyone who hangs on a tree. Or a cross. God was cursed. He was cursed because of sin. Jesus had his own personal tree. His death was to cover a multitude of sin, and he became the propitiation for our sins. He paid the price of sin we could not pay, he paid our debt. That is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Hebrews 2.14 says this, Inasmuch as then as the children have partaken of the flesh and the blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He came to destroy the work of the enemy, that we might have life and overcome death. What happens? We have the mind. He came to sacrifice and he came that his name would be exalted. Christ was sent to be exalted as we close tonight. Jesus came, was sent with a mission that all would call on his name, that whoever believes would be saved, the scripture says. But we know today people are like, people like to take risk and they like to gamble. We have a lot of casinos around the neighborhood here, right? And some, some of us might even like to gamble. Some of us might even go over to the liquor store or the market and buy a lottery ticket for a few bucks. Others might take greater risk. 
In fact, in 1883, Mr. Matthew Webbs took a bet out for $2,000 to swim through the Whirlpool Rapids near the Niagara Falls on the U.S.-Canadian border, a dangerous stretch of swirling waters that no one had managed to safely swim before. And sadly, Webb lost his bet, his life, and drowned in the attempt. Many today are wagering their lives regarding faith. Some have, some have put their faith in other things. And some have failed to put their trust in Christ and they have waged their soul for all eternity. Like Mr. Webb, it could be costly. But regardless of their position, we know that everyone will stand before God and exalt his name. Save or unsaved. People of faith and people not of faith. The agnostic, the atheist, all have to stand before God. But we first know that God the Father exalted him. He exalted him. It says, verse 9, Therefore God all has highly exalted him and gave him the name which is above every name. Right? His humility... And obedience was, re was rewarded. The word exalted means to, to give exceptional honor, to exalt to the highest rank and power, and to raise to supreme majesty. Jesus in his resurrection had regained, had regained his throne. Psalm 16 says, For you shall not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And now he sits at the right hand of his Father, that's who we sang about tonight. <laughs> that's who we worship tonight. In our singing, that's who we exalted with our words, right? Him God exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. And his name will be exalted. There's something about his name. There's something about the name of Jesus, right? His name is superior. His name is known all around the world and they shall call his name Jesus, for his name means the Lord is salvation. And all creation will exalt him. Look at 10 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch that? Every knee will bow. Whether by choice or not by choice. Every knee will bow. All creation in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Everybody will genuflect before the Lord. Everybody will stand before God. In heaven, the angels, the heavenly beings will exalt his name. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, they will sing in heaven. The angels will worship him and exalt him. Those on earth will bow. Those on this planet will bow and under the earth, even the demonic powers will bow to Jesus. Not only will every knee bow, but every tongue will confess. Every voice will be lifted up in worship. This doesn't imply that everyone is saved. <laughs> this doesn't imply that everybody is choosing it by choice to worship. Even his enemies will confess who he is. But Jesus will always bring glory to the Father. 
our confession. The confession of our faith is so powerful. He called us to confess his name. That we're to confess him before men, that he will confess us before his Father in heaven. That we're to confess Jesus' name before men in order to be saved. Because in that, Jesus will stand in the gap for us. He'll be the advocator when we stand before God, God the Father. That every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. We get to make a choice on that. We could confess him now and enter into the kingdom. Some of us might make excuses for that, why we don't want to confess. Some say, I, I'm really not ready right now. Well, when are you going to be ready? <laughs> when is the time ready? Or, I'm good. Everything's good with me. I'm a pretty good person. I'm trusting my good deeds. That will help me get into the kingdom. That's a work theology. That means you're trying to earn points with God. We don't earn points with God. Our righteousness, our goodness doesn't get us into the kingdom. His goodness gets us into the kingdom. We trust his goodness. We trust his work on the cross. And by faith we come to him and receive his work in our lives. He is the door to heaven. I am not the door, but Jesus is the door. Because there is a confession that leads to salvation and there is a confession that will lead to judgment. There is a confession. And depending on the time of your confession determines your destiny. Your decisions a day determines your destiny. You're not here tonight by accident or circumstances. You're here because God's calling you tonight. He's calling you to call on his name. And he demonstrated his love while we were yet sinners, while we were far from God. He, I sent my only begotten son. I demonstrated my love to you by giving the very thing I love to you as a gift. Now you have to receive that gift. Tonight you're going to go home and some of you have wrapped presents. Some of you have done all those things. You put it on the tree. Either you're going to do it tonight at 12 or you might do it tomorrow morning with your kids. But that gift is only a gift if you receive it, open it, and accept it. Or it's not a gift. It remains on the tree that it hasn't given. There's still a tree under the a gift under the tree. Salvation is a gift that needs to be believed on and received and accepted in order for it to operate and change your destiny. And you do it by faith. So I leave you with three thoughts tonight as we close. And as Pastor Felipe comes and leads us to communion, Christ was sent in the flesh to be a servant, and we are sent to be a servant. To those around us. Christ was sent to be our sacrifice. Our propitiation. Our substitute. For salvation. And Christ was sent to be exalted. And to be worshipped. And we worshipped him tonight. And so as we close tonight. It's, I just want to pray. And if you're here tonight. Maybe you've never made that confession of faith. Maybe you've never said, Lord, I, I want you by faith. I want the gift, that gift tonight. I want to pray. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for tonight. We thank you for your love and your blessings and your goodness and your mercy and grace. And I pray for night for those in this room tonight that are here. Father, for those that know you, we celebrate your birth. 
for those that have put their trust in you, we celebrate your coming and that confession has been made and now we worship you, we exalt your name and we sing about you and we live for you and Father, we honor you and we glorify you with our lives and we walk in ways that are honorable to you. For those that maybe are, don't understand that, Lord, and they want that gift, I, I pray for them tonight, Lord, that Father, by faith, that they would come to know you. They would come to know your ways. They would come to know your love. They would come to receive the greatest gift Ever that will never perish. We'll get gifts that will fade. We'll get gifts that will tear. We'll get gifts that will break. But you, the greatest gift, will never perish. You give life. If you're here tonight and maybe you've never made that commitment, I just want you to raise your hand right now so I can pray for you. Anybody here? So I can pray for you. Yes, I want, I want the gift. Is anybody here? I see it. Anybody else? Father, I pray for my sister who just said yes over here. I pray your hand upon her tonight, Lord. She's saying yes to the gift by faith. Lord, it's by faith. The greatest work you said, this is the greatest work of God that you believe upon me. That was the greatest work we could ever do. That we believe on the name of Jesus. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.